Well, good morning. Uh, it's awesome just to be able to continue just praising our Savior this morning as we worship through the reading of the Word. And so I just want to invite you to turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I hope you have a Bible with you uh, so you can turn it over or turn it on or whatever you have. And if you don't have one, uh, there's one in the pew in front of you in that seat back. We'd love for you to have it. You can keep it. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, and we want to be able to look at it together because we really do believe uh, that everything of value we have to say is found in this book. Okay, you, You've not come to hear a man uh, teach or impress you or anything like that. I, even if I stand up here, I just feel the weight of just the weaknesses uh, in me and not worthy to even be here. All the worth is in Christ and it's in this Word. And so um, I, I just want us to lean into what it has and it is a blessing and I really do mean this like I'm thankful that I get to do this with family like you guys are my church family I love you uh, you're patient with me I was uh, leading at Johnson City or getting to preach there a few weeks ago and I began by you know what I meant to say was man it's just such a blessing to get to worship with you guys this morning instead I said Man, it's just such a blessing to worship you guys this morning, okay? So, and I had to stop, okay, it's a little heretical, go back, you know, erase that out. No, let me say what's right, but man, it's a family, and um, there's a lot of weaknesses and failures here, but together we get to lean into this book. So that's what we want to do this morning as we continue on in Colossians. Um, and so let me just pray for us, and as I pray, I don't want you just to listen to me pray, I want you to pray as well. And I want to invite you to pray for the person to your right or to your left. You might know who they are, you may not. But just pray that God would open their eyes and move in them this morning. And I just ask you selfishly to pray for me. Um, I'm not the message, I'm a messenger. And that God would just clearly help me to be able to say what needs to be said so that his word can be put on display. So would you just join me in praying. Lord, we love you, we need you. We thank you for the truths that we've already sung about you are the resurrecting king that you are resurrecting us, that that's a past completed action, but it's ongoing and one day will be completely fulfilled. And Lord, we're just thankful we were dead and you have made us alive through your Son. And so this morning we just come with expectation, not just hoping you'll move. We believe you're going to move. We believe that you're going to change lives in this room. We believe you're going to change us. We believe that you created Tri-Cities Baptist Church. And you've called us here. And you've knit this family together. And you've called the men and women here that lead here. And that this is your purpose and plan. And so we just want to lean into that with all that we are. All that we have. We ask that you do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine in this time. And we pray that what happens here would not stay here, but it would go with us to our homes, to our families, to our marriages, to our, the places we work, to our schools, wherever we're going. We pray that you would change us and carry that out so that the gospel can go forward. We thank you for the promise your word does not return void. It accomplishes the work for which you've sent it. We pray your word would do its work this morning in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray you convict of sin. Pray that you would open eyes of people who don't know you to see you this morning. I pray that you'd give hope and you'd fix our joy on you. Pray that there'd be nothing known in this place except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that I would decrease and that you would increase this morning and our joy would be full and be in you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we are in Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing on as we've been going through this beautiful book. And if you've not been leaning in, I encourage you, to, you it's not too late to do that. There are reading sources, tools that you can get out in the atrium, a reading guide, memorization, to memorize some of this word with us, to talk about it in life groups. You can go back and grab sermon notes, messages from the past as we're really trying to dig deep into the book of Colossians. And one of the common conversations we're having, even in our church office, our staff, is how so much stuff that we can't cover. You know, even though we're covering so many weeks, there's just so much here. This God's Word is an endless fountain. And so I just encourage you to lean in over, uh, not just this morning, but the next few weeks together. And as we get to Colossians 3, we, we see a shift. And the shift is kind of in the, the flow of the letter. Paul's he walked through introduction. We walked through his prayer. His prayer for the church is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and all understanding. That's his prayer for them. It's a prayer for us. Why? So that they may, so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So you and I exist, if you're a Christian in this room, if you're a Jesus follower, place your faith in Christ. We exist and our lives are on this planet to display the worth of Jesus Christ for everyone to see. So that when a watching world sees you and they see me and they see our church family, they see the worth of Christ on display. And Paul's prayer is that they would live in light of who they are. He then transitions and begins talking about the reason we can display the worth of Christ is because Christ is the only one who's worthy walks through who Christ is, and that he's above all else, and he's above everyone, and so him we preach, him we proclaim. In the last two weeks, we've been talking about some of the false teachings that were coming into the church, and how those false teachings are not just here way back centuries ago, but they are here today in this room and in our hearts. And constantly, the enemy is looking to take our hearts captive by things that are less than the gospel. And we're constantly uh, looking for things other than Christ, other than the gospel, to try to move on to. But you don't move past the gospel. And so we get to this point in chapter 3 where Paul begins to shift from, uh, from that, who we are, and where, what's happening in the church to, okay, now how do you live in light of that? What does it look like for the church to live in normal life? And so in chapter 3, he kind of gives us the means by which that happens. And so we're going to look at four verses this morning in our time together. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in order to kind of just hone in on this passage, I need your help. We have some group participation this morning. So I'm going to ask a series of questions. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do is just to raise your hand. Because if you don't, I'm going to feel really awkward and self-conscious. And so even if you don't want to participate, just do it because you feel sorry for me. Uh, But I think this will help us kind of grab hold of what's happening here. So how many of you in this room have ever seen someone who's a little weird, a little strange, do something a little out of the normal? Okay, anybody in here? Okay, all kinds of hands. Yes, we, we know people like that. We've seen people like that. Maybe you've, like me, and you've seen the person who's like at the track running laps, trying to get in shape, and they stop to take their cigarette break and then go back and run the tracks. You're like, I don't really think that one's helping the other kind of thing. It doesn't, you know, replace kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm going to eat one piece of kale so I can have the massive cheesecake kind of thing. I don't know if that helps. 
you know, or the people who drive in the slow lane or in the fast lane, the passing lane, under the speed limit. Like, that's weird, that's strange, why do you do that? How many of you in here have children, if you're a parent, who sometimes have or do things that are a little strange, weird, out of the ordinary? Why does a human being even attempt to do, okay, yeah, you're walking with me, parents. We're not going to tell the stories. It may not be appropriate, but we all know how that works. How many of you in here are married to someone who has weird tics and does weird things in the room? Guys, don't put your hands up. Come on, I'm trying to help you out. And Mother's Day's two weeks. This is an awesome opportunity. We just own it, right? We've seen weird people. We are weird people. We all have tics. We've got our own awkward things. I like to make up words that aren't really words because I talk too fast and slur things together. We, we have our own, own things. So let's take it to another level. We've seen things that are strange or different. How many of you have ever seen something in your life that's just incredible that happened, that just surprised you, it was outside of the realm of ordinary? Anybody say, I have... Okay, I've got hands. Cool. So let's take it kind of a spiritual context. How many of you have ever seen or known someone that you've seen God move in their life, whether it's providing a need, healing a sickness, moving in a way that's just not explainable, it's a miracle, it's out of the ordinary. Anybody just says a testament, I've seen God's faithfulness, yeah, hands across the room. That's awesome. Let's take it a step farther. How many of you have ever seen someone who died come back to life. Okay, not, not so many hands in this room. Take it a step farther. How many of you in this room would say, you know, my story is a story of I've run after all kinds of things, trying to find happiness, trying to find joy, trying to find peace, trying to find hope. They were all dead ends. Wrecked my life on so many different things. Just in my sin until finally God helped me see the gospel, whether it was through a person, a pastor, a message, a conversation. And I realized for the first time that Jesus was real, and Jesus died for my sin in my place. And I began to see the beauty of the gospel. And I just placed my faith in Him, and God just changed my life. I was dead in my sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. Anybody say that that is my story this morning? So let me ask a question again. How many of you have seen someone who is dead that God has raised to life? Look at the hands. If you're in this room and you've encountered a true Christian, true Jesus follower, you've seen someone who is dead, who is now alive. If you're in this room and you are a Christian, your testimony is one of one who is dead and has been raised to life. And that is a miracle. And that is what we're looking at this morning. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, or since, is another way of saying, Paul's not saying if, maybe, uh, he's saying since, if then comes off of Colossians 2.20 and pre, pre, uh, earlier on when he's talking about we've been raised with Christ. If then, you have, since then, you have been raised with Christ. So that's the key. Dead, raised to life. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. So if you died and you've been risen again in Christ, just like Jesus died and rose again, seek the things where Christ is. 
seated at the right hand of God. What's that all about? Jesus, it's a place of power and authority. So Paul's just reaffirming kind of the argument he's been making that Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is God. He is the highest. We pursue him, not other things uh, or other things to try to grow in our spirituality. It's him and him alone. Verse 2, if you've been raised, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died. There it is. Dead. We were dead in our sins. And we have, if you're a Christian, died to sin. And your life is hidden with Christ. We just sang about that a minute ago and before the throne of God. My life is hid with Christ on high. Talk about that means in a minute. In God. When Christ, who is your life, new identity, appears then you will appear with him in glory. So here's the big idea. This is what I want us to lean into. This is what I want you to think about this morning. And it changes everything for us. If we can get a hold of this as Christians and Jesus followers, it just transforms the way we look at our lives. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a Christian, you're here because someone invited you, or you're curious, or you're leaning in, we are glad you're here. Now I encourage you just to lean in, ask questions, kind of listen to what's going on, uh, because I think this will help bring some clarity to what Christians believe and how we live. And here's what I want you to get and walk away with. The resurrection is not just something Jesus followers believe in. The resurrection redefines who we are and how we live. This is what Paul's saying. The resurrection, resurrection is not just a belief system, but it's something that redefines who we are because we have been raised and it changes the way we live. So what I want to do in the few minutes we have left is walk through these verses, and there are five things that I want to point out to you that Paul says that are true of us if we have been raised with Christ, okay? So if you've been raised to life in Christ, these things are true of you, these things are true of me, these things are true of our faith family. Here's the first one. Being raised with Christ redirects our desires. Being raised with Christ redirects our desires. Verse 1 says this, If you have been raised... With Christ, dead made alive, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When it says, seek the things that are above, that word seek, it means a couple of things that are really important. The first one is this, the same word seek, it's the same word as desire. So you could say, desire the things that are above, long for the things that are above. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about our affections here. So in Deuteronomy 6, when God through Moses says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, he's lining these things up. Seek, long for, set your heart on the things that are above, our desires. The second thing that's important to note is this word seek, it's a continual action. So Paul's not saying, hey, do this one time, but this should be an ongoing thing in the life of a believer. That every single day, every single moment, we should continue to set our desires, set our heart 
on God, set our affections on God. This is the work of the Christian life. This is part of sanctification, the Holy Spirit helping us set our hearts on the Lord. Because, if we're going to be really honest, the proclivity and the tendency of our heart is to set itself on things other than God. So we long for the advancement in our career, we long for the better grades, we long to get into this school, we long to date this person, we long to get married, we long for our kids to not uh, embarrass us, we long for them to succeed. Whatever it is, we will fix our hearts on things that we hope to bring us joy and peace. And Paul's saying, you died to all that. If you died to all that, set your heart on what matters most. Set it on the Lord. Paul, or Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13, 44. There's a parable, and it's the parable of the hidden treasure. And I love it. So this guy is walking through a field, and all of a sudden he stumbles on this treasure of insurmountable worth. So he doesn't steal it. He leaves it, and he goes and does the thing that's legal. He sells everything that he can to buy that land to gain the treasure. And Jesus says that he goes out, and with joy he sells it all. Now, could you imagine just going about your normal day, your normal stresses, the normal stuff, and all of a sudden you happen upon a treasure like that? And Paul, and Matt, sorry, Matthew says that he sells all that he has out of joy. Why? Because his treasures changed. His desire changed. Something he found captivated his heart that was greater than all his stuff. Think about it. The only thing that changed, before he saw that treasure, he would have had his concerns at home, concerns with work, concerns with all that stuff. But everything changed when he saw the treasure, and out of joy, his heart was fixed on the treasure. That's what's to happen to us as Christians. Jesus is the greatest treasure, church. He is the greatest treasure. It's far more insurmountable than anything this world has to offer. So that's why Paul's saying, if you die to sin, set your heart, set your desire on the things that are above where Christ is. Let him be your treasure. He is the goal of our lives. And so just really practically, I would just ask you this morning, as a friend, as a brother and sister, what do you have your heart set on this morning? What are you desiring? What are you longing for? What, if it was taken away from you, would cause you the most grief and pain this morning? Where's your treasure? And what Paul is telling us, and this is something that we talk to parents a lot about here, is the world says, hey, follow your heart. We know that's terrible advice. Because in Jeremiah it says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's incurably wicked. Who can know it? So instead of following your heart, what Paul's saying here is aim your heart. Aim your heart on what matters most. Aim your heart on the treasure. And it's something that we have to continue to do every single day is to aim our heart to what matters most. What are you aiming your heart at today? But here's the second thing he says. Not only being raised with Christ redirects our desires, but being raised with Christ, it transforms our thinking. It transforms our thinking. It changes the way that we think about life and toward life. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So Paul says, not only set your heart on the things that are above, but we are to set our mind on the things that are above. 
As Christians, we've not just been called to feel, we've been called to think. And to put what captivates our mind and captivates our attention, to set those things on the things of God. So setting our mind on things above practically looks like reading God's Word, praying God's Word, being in Christian community around conversation about God. It's, some of you raised your hands earlier and said, I've seen God do incredible things in my life or other people's life. It's setting your mind on God's faithfulness. And thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say, not on things of this earth. And again, here's the tendency. This is the proclivity of our lives, is to set our heart on things of this earth and to set our mind on the attentions of this earth. So that doesn't mean that as Christians we can't ever watch the news, or we can't ever talk about what should we do to the house, or we shouldn't ever talk about education, what do the kids. That's not what he's saying. When he's saying don't set your mind on things of this earth, he's talking about the things that cause sin and the desires of sin and temptation within us. So really practically, if you're prone to anxiety and you're prone to worry, one way to not set your mind on the things of the world might be to turn CNN or Fox News off and open your Bible and go to Philippians 2 when it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord forever, that He is the ruler of all things. He is in control. He is sovereign. To be reminded that in a, a world that feeds on fear, media that feeds on fear, that we need to place our faith in Christ. We have to set our mind on those things. Philippians 2, Paul says, uh, have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. It's the same word. Set your mind. Have this way of thinking. Practically, it might mean if you're prone toward anger or prone toward pride, you need to set your mind off of the things that you want to gain to make people think that you're better and set your mind on something else, God's word, on humility, on whatever that is. And for a lot of us, and I'm included in this, it's really easiest for us to be lazy Christians. To set our mind on binge watching on Netflix or TV or meaningless stuff. I'm not saying it's all wrong or sin, but we will set our minds on things so much lesser. And our minds will be captivated by things that are not of the Lord. So Paul's saying, if you have been raised, you have a new identity. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind, transform your thinking. Think differently. The third one is this, the third truth. Being raised with Christ reminds us who we were. It reminds us who we were. Look at verse 3. For you have died. There's two parts to this that I think are really important. The first is this. Everyone in this room before Christ is dead in their sin. For some of you here this morning, you're dead in your sin incapable, incapacitated from loving and following God. That is us. Utter enemies, utter rebels. Sin doesn't just make us bad. Sin makes us dead. 
Sin is not just mistakes we make from time to time. Sin is an affront to a holy God. It makes us enemies of God. Sin does not just distract us from what's right. Sin makes us blind to the truth. And we were dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Everyone in this room, at one time, we were dead. And the gospel reminds us of that. That we needed to be raised to life. For some of you in this room, you haven't been. You need God to supernaturally, through Jesus, raise your soul to life. And the truth about dead things is that dead things cannot they don't need a self-improvement plan, right? A corpse doesn't need a self-improvement plan. A corpse needs new life. And a corpse cannot get out of the grave. It needs someone to get it out of the grave. And that's who we were. That's who you were. And I hope you never forget who you were. As we grow deeper in the gospel and our understanding of it, we grow deeper in our understanding of our sin, of our brokenness, but we also grow deeper in the understanding of God's grace toward us, and it compels us and moves us and changes us. And this man who you see standing in front of you, Paul, he was dead in sin, not following God, not knowing him, headed toward hell, and God rescued him and saved him, and I don't understand it, it's just grace. But the second thing that's important for us in this room, if you are a Jesus follower, not only were you dead, but you have died to sin. That is not your identity anymore. So Paul's saying, don't live like you were. Live in light of who you are. That the way we fight sin is not by looking at sin and looking at more sin. The way we fight sin is through seeing a greater treasure, through a greater pleasure, that God is the goal, that Jesus is what we're longing for, what we're looking for. In Romans 6, it talks about how are we who are dead to sin to live any longer in it. That should not be a part of who we are. But the tendency in our heart is to go back to what leads us captive. I don't know if you've ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome. It's, it's an actual, um, you, you can read about it, it's a case study. But Stockholm Syndrome is where people who have been abducted by a captor and they live with their captor over time begin to love their captor and help their captor. And there's studies that have shown this. People who are abducted for 10 or 15 years, they could leave, they could go away anytime they want. Instead, they'll help their abductor commit crimes, rob, do all these things. Because what first bled them to bondage has now become their identity. And they are so in bondage to it that they can't break away from it. And Paul's saying that's not who you were. And that's not who you are. You were dead. You were dead. Past tense. You were dead. But now you are alive. So we are reminded of who we were. But fourthly, being raised with Christ declares over us whose we are. I want you to get this. Being raised from death to life in Jesus Christ declares over you, declares over me whose you are. Read with me in the end of verse 3. For you have died. And your life, speaking to the church, speaking to you, speaking to me, is hidden with Christ in God. 
And I love these words. When Christ, and I have these circled, who is your life? You have a new identity. So, a couple things here. When he says that our life is hidden with Christ and God, what, what does that mean? Does that mean we're playing like some cosmic game of hide and seek with Jesus throughout our lives? No, that's not what he's saying here. What's that mean? Well, the idea of being hid in Christ, in God, means that we are secure. Our identity, our security is held in God. And it's in Christ who is in God. So somehow within the Trinity, we are secure in that. So you don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have to live in fear about whether the test result is going to be positive or negative. We don't have to be afraid of what might happen to our child because we know that we are hidden in Christ. And while those things are hard and difficult, not saying they're not, our identity and our security is in Jesus. I have three kids. The oldest is Jack. He just turned five. And as his dad, his identity is tied to me right now. I'm his father, and he's my son, and he loves me, and he wants to be like me because he doesn't know me well enough to know all my flaws, right? I'm just this awesome dad in his mind. And so he just faithfully just loves me, blindly trusts me, and I provide for his needs. He doesn't understand how. He doesn't understand how hard I work or how paychecks work or that I have to pay taxes or all those kind of things. But I provide for him. I take care of him. I don't even, he doesn't understand it. He just trusts it and he lives in it. And that's in a much more great way the way we are. We are in Christ. God cares for us. His name is over us. He's working in ways we don't understand. We don't even understand the complexities of our relationship with him. One day we will. But what we do know is that you and I, if you're a Christian, is that you are secure in Christ. So your biography, your bio is not, I'm a chemist, or I'm an accountant, or I'm an engineer, or I'm a high school student, or I'm a child, or I'm a doctor. Your biography, if you are a Christian, is Jesus. It's all you need. That's the name above all names. It's the name that's above you. It's whose you are. We've been given a new identity. So we're not defined by what we've done. We're not defined by what's been done to us. We're not defined by our best deeds. Your life, my life, when we're in Jesus, is defined by his righteous perfection. That is awesome. You were dead, but now you're hidden in Christ. You were dead, now Jesus is your life. Just a real practical question this morning, friend. What is your life? What is your life about? Is your life about Jesus? Is your life about seeking what's above? Is it about something else? Do you remember who you were? Do you remember what God has done to rescue you? Do you know whose you are? Is that being lived out over you? Is that being lived out over me? And lastly is is this. Being raised with Christ compels us to live today in light of the day. Once you grab hold of this, being raised with Christ compels us to live today in light of the day. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he's coming again. 
He's coming again. He's coming back. All the wrongs are going to be righted. Sin will be undone. The tears will be gone. God is coming again through Jesus. When he appears, you will appear with him in glory. You will appear with him in glory. And so here's the temptation of your heart and my heart. The temptation of our heart is to live for today. But what Paul's telling the church, what Paul's calling us to, is don't live for today, live for the day, today. That the way I walk today should be in light of that day when God comes again and he makes all things right. That is good news this morning. And so we live in this tension of the now, not yet. We live in that we are redeemed and we're saved, but there is a battle of the flesh. There is a battle for the mind that's going on. But there is a not yet coming when God will come back and make those things right. We live in between that. And so here's what I want us to think about, church. I want to challenge you. Do you and do I, are we living in such a way that when the watching world around you sees you, do they see you living in light of today? Or they see you living today in light of the day. Because when we live in light of the day, that Jesus is coming in and the hope there, it changes everything. This morning on the way here, uh, David Godsey, who was leading worship this morning, his car broke down on the way here. Nissan Xterra, you can pray for him, pray over his Nissan. You know, maybe if you're a generous person, you can help him out after this. Uh, But it broke down on the way here. What if, let's say David got a call this morning and said, Hey David, there's been an inheritance left for you. One billion dollars in Johnson City. All you got to do is come get it. I'm sure he was frustrated this morning when his car broke down. Do you think he would have been frustrated when his car broke down if he knew he was going to collect a a billion dollars that's just there waiting for him? Probably not, right? You can buy a lot of Nissan Xterra's for a billion dollars. And probably most of us would not buy a Nissan Xterra if we had a billion dollars. He wouldn't be upset. He wouldn't be frustrated. Why? It's there waiting for him. Something so much better. He's just got to get there. He'll figure it out and get there. I think this is an indictment on us. That we, the people who know God, whose hope is in heaven, that glory is coming, it's going to be revealed. We get so bent out of shape over so many insignificant things in our lives when what is coming is so much far better than a billion dollars it is God himself it is the son of God it's eternity in the kingdom of God but we live in these moments we get so frustrated and so much loss over all these things I'm talking about me when in front of us is beauty and glory and hope and it's coming for us what would it look like If this room, this church, two campuses, what would it look like if we lived our lives in light of the day? Let's get even more personal. Moms and dads, what would it look like to your kids if you looked today in light of the day? What would you do differently? What would they see? Husbands, wives, what would your marriage look like if you lived today in light of the day? How would it change your business decisions? How would it change the college that you're trying to choose? How would it change your major if you're living that day? One of the prayers I'm trying to pray is I'm trying to get my heart around this because I don't automatically lean there either. 
And it's trying to pray every day, Lord, if this is my last day, if this is my last breath, help me to love you with all of my heart, my soul, my strength today. Lord, if this is my last day, help me to be the best husband that I can be today for your glory. Lord, if this is my last day, help me to be the best father for your glory that I can be today. If this is my last day, help me to be the best pastor, the best friend, the best evangelist I can be today. With whatever you've given me left, Lord, please help me to live that way because most of the time I don't. But what would it look like if we did? What would it look like if we did? Being raised with Christ changes absolutely everything for us. Paul said it this way, Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, as dung, as refuse, in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that I earn through the law, but that which comes through faith in him, Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that's what we're talking about, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. We are called to be a people who live like that. Peter said it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God create Tri-Cities Baptist Church and call us in it? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but you are now a people. We were dead, but now we've been brought to life in this family. You once did not receive mercy. We were under wrath, but now we've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you to live as sojourners and exiles. What does that mean? Sojourners and exiles. We live like this world is not our home. And what Paul's doing is he's setting the church up to see that the resurrection changes everything. And if you are in Christ, you've been raised to life. And that changes everything. So church, let us desire and set our heart on the things that are above where Christ is. Let us set our minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Let us remember that we have died to sin. It has no hold over us anymore. That old person he's in the tomb he's in the grave and that we have been made alive hidden with christ in god and jesus christ he is now our life when he comes again when he appears we will appear with him in glory may we live today in light of the day pray that over you pray that over your life and your marriage if you're married pray that over your future pray that over your relationships that that would be true of us would you bow your heads invite the team to come up. We're just going to respond this morning. And as we respond, I just want to pray over us. There's a couple of things I would just encourage you to think about. Heads bowed, side closed. I wouldn't, please don't move around. This is your opportunity just to kind of respond to the Lord. First question is this, is have you been raised to life in Christ? 
Have you been raised to life in Christ? Have you been made alive? If you haven't, you can be. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, you can be saved. And the greatest thing you can do this morning is say, that is me. I need to see Jesus in my treasure. I need to follow him. I want him to be my joy. I want him to be my life. If that is you this morning, that can be your testimony. Before you leave, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you about what that means and walk you through that. And you can come find me. There'll be people at the hub. We'd love to talk to you about that. And if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, here are the things I'd challenge you to think of. What are you setting your heart on? What are you setting your mind on? Is there anything out of step, out of balance? Do you remember who you were? Do you remember that sin has no hold over you anymore? Do you remember whose you are? Are you living in light of your new identity? Are you leaning into who Christ is? And are we, are you living today in light of the day? Or are we just living for today? Father, I just thank you for my family. I thank you for this morning when we can dive into your word. And I pray that we would be a people who live as though we've been raised to life in Christ. And Father, we know that before we could ever be raised to life, you had to send your son to die. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And it's through the shedding of blood that there can be forgiven, forgiveness of sins. And before we can be raised, you had to be raised. And before you could be raised, you had to die. And so as we come to the table now, and Pastor David just as one of our elders leads us through this moment together, I pray that we would just remember what you've done for us and that we would live in light of that. It's the name of the Son we pray. Amen.